As Brent continues to play, I'm just going to ask you to remain standing in honor of God's Word. As we just continue thinking about Christ as the center of all things. And so as a church, if you're a guest with us, what we do is teach straight through books of the Bible. We've been in Matthew, and we find ourselves coming to this passage today um, that's going to focus our hearts on what it means to pray fast. Um, but there's another point in there. So this is the text before us today. Let's worship through the reading of God's Word just as much as we worship through the singing of man's songs. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And so truly I say to you that they've received their reward. So when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Word of God for the people of God. Be seated. <clears throat> well, I, I hesitate to even begin with this illustration because I know the phobias of people in the room, and this will even strike to my phobia, or one of my phobias. Um, <clears throat> but I think it'll really set the tone for what Jesus has just done in this passage. Uh, just yesterday, me and uh, my kids left, and, and we, we were headed somewhere, and we, we were driving down Mittlery Road. And right as you kind of dip down where the creek is, we had, we had just kind of dipped down, and I, I saw in the distance this really, really long stick and so I thought, as I'm driving up to it, I wonder if this is a stick. And sure enough, as soon as we begin to approach, that stick began to bend. <laughs> and so I realized it was not a stick. And I thought, well, I need to do exactly what any good God-fearing Christian should do, and that is run over said stick. Right on the head, right? <clears throat> and so as, it, so as it's squirming, I drive, and you can ask my kids, this is true. And I hit it, I missed the head. Um, so just know that there is a 75-foot-long python still out there in Northport <laughs> hunting down your dog, okay? It still exists. I, I didn't hit its head. And as soon as I ran over it, the first thing I had to do was look in the rearview mirror to see if I got it, right? And, and it was doing its thing, and, you know, it was, it was ready to bite something. There was just nothing to bite. 
But nonetheless, that moment was a true head turner for me. And in life, there's all kind of head turners, aren't there? There's all kind of moments that make us forget what we're doing and turn and look at what just occurred. There's tons of head turning moments. Weddings are head turning moments. Birthdays are head running over snakes are definitely head turning moments. There's all these moments in life that something happens and it forces us to turn our gaze and, and look the other way. Well, Jesus has given us tons of head-turning moments already in Matthew. He keeps saying things, and when he says them, people turn their head and go, what did he just say? Let's just kind of relive some of these. At his baptism in chapter 3, verse 15, he said to John, who says, no, I don't need to be baptizing you. Jesus says this in rebuttal. No, 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 this is fitting, and the reason you're doing it is because this is going to fulfill all righteousness. At that moment, they went, what did he just say? At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that we're in now, chapter 5, verse 17, he says this, I've not come to abolish the law. He says this to people who love the law. I've not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill all the law. That caused them to turn their heads. Chapter 5, verse 20, he says this phrase, you'll remember it, Unless your righteousness, and this is us, unless our righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Like, so for everybody who wants the hope of eternity in heaven, he says, you're not going to get there unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. This was a head-turning moment. It shocked the people that heard it. And then you remember chapter 5, verse 48, as we were in a couple of weeks ago. Jesus says this. Remember, this is for all of us people who have the hope of eternity with the Lord one day. He says, here's how you'll get there. You, therefore, must be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's how you'll get there. All these were whiplash moments. Moments that shock the hearer, and many of you guys have been shocked by these sayings as we've gone through them as well. They were head-turning, gaze-fixing, eyes-looking-at moments. And today he kicks off with another one that we just read. He says this word right here. It was in verse 1. Now, I'm, let me go ahead and tell you ahead of time. I'm going to skip, and I know it's safe haven. That is a, that's a pitchfork word. You ain't going to skip nothing, Troy, right? We're going to skip verses 2 through 4, but Tyler LaFoy will knock it out of the park next week, Okay. But we're going to need to skip it for the context that we're in. Just hold that thought. He'll pick it back up next week. We will cover all of Matthew, so fear not. But I do need to read verse 1 if we want to understand where we're getting at with prayer and fasting today. Okay? Here was a head-turning moment. Notice the word. This will be on the screen above. He says this word, beware or beware. That's a head-turning moment. If somebody says to you, you're on a journey, and they say, hold up beware. Uh, Katie Thompson and, and Keith Thompson of the Coles, I can't remember who it was, y'all can tell me afterwards. Uh, somebody was headed down a trail the other day, and as somebody was coming out of the trail, they said to them, hey, you need to be careful at mile marker one out here at Lake Lurleen. I'm telling you where all the snakes are. Out here at Lake Lurleen, they said at mile marker one, there's a big rattlesnake right in the middle of the trail. Beware. When we tell people that, that's a head-turning moment. Jesus is about to give them one. It's going to turn their head again. He says, beware. If you have the NIV, it's going to say, be careful. 
If you have the King James Version, it's going to say, take heed. If you have the New Living, it's going to say, watch out. So Jesus is about to say, look at something, turn your head towards something, and here's what he says. Here's what you need to pay attention to. Pay attention to practicing your righteousness before other people. Let's just let that sit for a second. Jesus has just told us in chapter 5, verse 16, that we need to do good works so that other people see them and glorify the Father who's in heaven. So is he now in contradiction? He just said, do good works so that people see them. And now he says, head turn, beware, don't practice your righteousness so that other people will see them. What is wrong with Jesus? Is he bipolar? Is he schizophrenic? What's going on with Jesus? But here's the kicker. Here's what he says, not to contradict himself. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Why? In order to be seen by them. Now that's the key. To get their glory. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So again, as people who love Jesus, who want to be with him, who want to please him, who, who, who want to know, okay, what is it that turns the providential frown of God, which most of us grew up thinking God's this frowny God ready to smite us. I'm not sure what that was. Um, what do we turn that, what turns that to a smile? Here's what he says, beware, look, here's what will turn that smile to a frown. When we practice our good works to be seen by other people, God despises that, is what he's getting at today. So Jesus kicks off this new part of the same sermon that we've been going through with a, a point. And the main idea of his point is this, and this is where we'll kind of track along today. Big picture. There's a lot of little pictures you could get in this passage. But the big picture of all these things he's saying is, there is indeed a healthy secrecy to genuine worship. There's a healthy understanding of genuine worship that has a very secret aspect and not a public aspect. In other words, you came today to a gym where we're worshiping Jesus, we're going through the text, we're looking at what it looks like, and so there's this public thing. But what Jesus says is, man, there's also a very private thing that's very, very healthy. And he's going to kind of hone us in on that today. If we're honest, it's really easy to get sucked into the applause of man, isn't it? That's something that's easy for us. We battle it every day. We want to be applauded by coworkers. We want to be applauded by neighbors. We want to be applauded by family. We want the applause of man, and it exposes something that's wicked within us. And so Jesus is going to kind of hone in on this and say, look, just as much as that extends to your neighbors and your family and your spouses and wanting their applause, you, it will slip into your spiritual worship too if you're not careful. So that's where he heads. Maybe for you, it's name dropping. And so this applause of man looks like name dropping. It's, oh, you know that other human being. I'm connected to them here, how the other. Maybe it exposes itself that way in your life. Or maybe it's just following the crowd. Maybe it's just, I'm doing what they do for their applause, and I don't know any other reason other than the fact that everybody just seems to be doing it, so I'm just going to kind of track along. 
This is an avenue that slips in of non-secrecy and public, I want applause of man. Or, or maybe it's the class clown. Maybe it's the class clown syndrome, right? I don't want the applause of man, so I'm going to be totally different than them. So totally different that I'm absolutely absurd so that they'll what? Notice how different I am from them and laugh at me, which gains me that weird, twisted sense of applause. This, this applause thing is big, or, or maybe for you it's the know-it-all syndrome. You have an answer for every question before the question is even asked. Right? So like you're, you're into conversations with people hoping that they'll just bridge some topic that you can just throw your information in or your wisdom in. Like you're, you're waiting. Maybe that's what you seek the applause of man or maybe it is the, and I had a hard time figuring out how to say this one. Maybe it is the kiss up. It's the, it's the kiss up, the suck up. Maybe, we could, maybe that's fairgrounds. Right? I had to be real careful how we said this one. Right? Maybe that is how you seek the applause of man. It is the, you know what, I really don't have an identity of my own, so I'll serve in such a way as to be applauded at least as the sidekick to that person. It is attractive, it is subtle, and it's something that we all deal with if we're being quite honest. And Jesus is going to address this because he says all of these things, if we're not careful, again, will slip into worship. The very thing that we want to do more than anything else, God, I want to please you, somehow slips into, I want to please you so much that I also want mankind to know that I'm trying to please you so that they'll applaud my seeking to please you. And it just gets twisted. And Jesus says, this is subtle if we're not careful. And the identical point of all of those things, whether it be name-dropping or following the, cloud or, or the crowd or class clown or know-it-all or kiss-up, the, the identical point of all of these is just simply this. If we're not careful, we will perform for public flattery rather than the Father's glory. Even in church. Church. We'll do that in church if we're not careful. And so Jesus does actually embrace the formula of there is a performance that receives a reward. He doesn't negate that. He, he indeed uses the fact that we can receive a reward in the right way, which is a motivation to perform for him. And he, he applies it in this formula to, to false and true worship. And so that's going to be on the screen above. And so on the screen above, you'll see this little graph. Take a look at it. Take a picture of it. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> and this is going to be point one of today's sermon. Again, I'm going big picture. There's a million little things we could go through this text, but let's look at it big picture-wise. And the point number one I think Jesus is getting at, there's a principle of authenticity in true worship that I think would be good for us to look at. Maybe I could say it this way. There is indeed a biblical if-then correlation to spiritual disciplines. That's real. If we do this, then God will do that. We'll get heady for, for, 40, for, for 10 seconds. 
all of the good, robust, reformed theologians in this room, that is hard for us to process, isn't it? <laughs> An if-then scenario. If God is sovereign, there are no if-thens. There is God does, all right? There is a biblical if-then scenario to spiritual disciplines. If we do this, God will do this. If we don't do this, God won't do this. There is an if-then scenario that plays out. And so Jesus gives three illustrations of how this works. In giving, in praying, and fasting. That's the big picture chunk of the sermon that we're in. And interestingly, you will see the reward in all of them. So look at it. Verse 2, Jesus said this in his sermon. The hypocrite gives publicly to be seen by man. And notice what he says, the hypocrite's reward. And they do receive their reward. They get the praise of man. Verse 5, he says, there are the hypocrite, hypocrite prays publicly to be seen by man. Do they get a reward, yes or no? Yes, they get a reward. Verse 5 says they've received their reward. Verse 16, he says, the hypocrite fasts publicly to be seen by man. They likewise get their reward. This formula is a beautiful picture in the text that if you just fly through it, you won't see it. But it plays out the exact same in the entire sermon. There's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. And notice the contrast of the follower. So the hypocrite does these things outwardly for public flattery. But then he contrasts it with the worshiper or the follower who does it inwardly. Verse 4. The follower gives, but he doesn't give publicly. He gives privately. Does he receive a reward? Yes. He does. That's not a trick question. Right? Here's what he says. Verse 5. Your father will see that in private and will reward you. Verse 6. The follower prays privately to be seen by God. Is there a reward? Why is it so hard for us as Christians to go, yes, he wants to reward us? Right? Because we've got, so, we've got such an issue with the prosperity gospel that we go, there could be no reward whatsoever. There is. <laughs> and he says, listen, if you pray privately to be seen by God, verse 6, your father will see and reward you. Look at verse uh, 18. The follower fasts privately to be seen by God. And verse 18 also says, and in doing so, your father will see and reward you. So, the big question, right? How do I know if I am a hypocrite or a follower? That's the big question. Because we want to be the follower. We don't want to be seen as the hypocrite. We don't want to be the illustration in Jesus' sermon, do we? And so, I just asked this question. Maybe I, I can't answer that for you. And I'll be dead honest with you. As I've chewed through this text, I've had to question me. Where am I? What does this look like for me and my heart? Which is an issue only you and the Spirit can deal with as we chew through the rest of this text. But I will say this. There are some things we can know. How do we slip into becoming hypocrites? Hypocrite simply being one who puts on a mask and plays a part outwardly that doesn't fit inwardly. How do we slip into that? And I'll just simply say this. I think most of the time we do that because we find ourselves in a pinch and we don't know what to do, so we just play the role that we think the person wants to, us to play. We just act the way that we think will bring their approval to us. 
And so, according to Jesus, this does a couple of things. Number one, when we slip into the role of playing an outward part that doesn't fit our inward heart, number one, it, it begins to cloud our judgment. We don't really even see who we are for ourselves, much less the world is for what it really is. And we begin to manipulate and scheme and all this kind of stuff to gain approval. I was a mascot for a long time. Some of y'all know this. I wasn't just Miner's Tiger. I was Miner's Purple Tiger. Because there's nothing meaner than a purple tiger, apparently. Right? And so in, in the mascot realm, I would put the, the, the little head on and, and do the thing and all that kind of stuff. It was crazy um, because I'm, I'm borderline nuts anyway. But you, just borderline. But you, I put that mask on and I could do anything I wanted to do. I mean, I, could, I, would, I would go nuts out on the field and do all this crazy stuff because I'd put this mask on. It gave me this false sense of, you know, whatever it is, this, <laughs> this real crazy purple tiger, right? That sounds like an acid trip, right? <laughs> but in that moment, there was a couple of things that I remember. With the mask on, sometimes it would cloud just my vision around me. And I'll never forget this little girl who came running up and she wanted to get the autograph of the purple tiger. And I stepped right on her leg. She came running up, and I, and I didn't see her. Don't, I didn't mean to do it. Don't look at me like that. Right? And I just stepped right on her leg because I was clouded. I, I couldn't really see what was going on. It, it distorted my perception. And that's what Jesus is saying. If we're not careful in our hypocrisy and worship, our distortion... We won't even be worshiping the Lord. We'll just find ourselves worshiping so that people around us will go, he's a good worshiper. And the Father says, I reject that. There's no reward for you. So it clouds our judgment, and then it ruins our worship. When we play the role of a hypocrite, it ruins our worship. It's kind of like the peacock. <laughs> there are no Christian peacocks, is what Jesus is saying. Y'all know what a peacock is, right? You've been to the Birmingham Zoo. They're awesome. They, and they just kind of, no other animal in the whole place other than squirrels, um, which are just rats with fuzzy tails, um, get to roam free. But the peacock does. And as the peacock's roaming free, you know, you did your picnic there, and, and all of a sudden you threw it a, a breadcrumb or whatever. And I don't know if it was because it loved the breadcrumb or just because it was ticked at you. What does it do? What does a peacock do when it gets excited? Boom. <laughs> In the words of rap today, it shakes its tail feathers, all right? Tail feathers out, boom, big plume. But here's the problem with a peacock. It's big and beautiful, but sucker can't fly. It's pretty to look at, but its wings does nothing except make it pretty. And so what Jesus is saying is when we play the role of a hypocrite, we can, boom, fluff out our tail feathers, but the father goes, but, but your heart's rotten, <laughs> You can't fly. That's what he's getting at. And then number three, according to Jesus, this indeed ties all in. This ruins the reward of the Father. When we exercise our spiritual disciplines in such a way for public flattery, it ruins the reward of the Father. Perhaps we miss out on some of the blessings of God because we seek to worship the Lord in a way that only honors God man 
That's what Jesus is getting at. It's kind of like the Chick-fil-A app. I love the, <laughs> the Chick-fil-A app. Me and David were talking about this the other day. I love racking up the points. I'm not red status. Okay, this is where we totally derail the sermon. How many of y'all are at red status? Raise your hands on the Chick-fil-A app. Okay, sorry suckers. All right? I, I hate you. All right? In a very Christian-like way, I hate you with the love of Christ. <laughs> I am jealous of you. I'm je- I have not made it to red status yet. Okay. But here's the thing with the Chick-fil-A app. You, you go and you purchase and you get the rewards. And every now and then, they will pop up a free sandwich. And you didn't do nothing. It's just a free reward. It's thank you for loving and, and being here and spending your money here. And I'm going to give you a $2 chicken sandwich. And we read that and we're like, yes! In a weird sort of way, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, there is a reward to be had that's going to pop up in your app, but you can negate that reward if your spiritual disciplines is just to get the applause of man. App shut down. No reward. That's true. Jax doesn't have an app. And that's just a side note. (laughs) Which... Oh, Lord. Which leads to point two of today's sermon. (laughs) Point number one, simply being Jesus says, there is a principle of authenticity in genuine worship. And then he gets into the practicality. And he gives three illustrations, which again, we'll hit two very fast right now. Tyler will hit the other one next week. He says this plays out specifically in our prayer. So the practice of privacy. How does this work out? Okay, great, Troy. I'm not supposed to do this publicly. How do I do this privately? Well, Jesus tells us. He gives us the example. So he gives us do's and don'ts. In verse 5, he says this, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And on the screen above, you'll see the Lord's Prayer, just kind of broken up. So I'm not going to do the Lord's Prayer in a way that maybe you've heard it before, because most of us have heard sermons on the Lord's Prayer. There's tons of them. And I just want to, in light of what we just said, I want you to see how this can be private. Number one, he says this, but when you pray, go into your room. So do go into your room. Which shows us this, God is a God who loves personal intimacy. Go to your room. You can know me in public, but you can know me in a whole other way, in private. There's a private personal joy to be had with praying with the Lord. And he goes on to say this, and when you go into your room, shut the door. Not only does God love personal intimacy, but God loves personal privacy. So go into your room where it's just me and you, but also shut the door. In other words, you're distracted enough in the world, and you'll certainly be distracted with your 16-year-old playing ACDC on his electric guitar resonating throughout the house, just saying that may be a hypothetical situation for somebody in this room. right? Go in your room and shut the door so that you won't be distracted. He goes on to say this, And do this, and pray to your Father who's in secret. Do pray to your Father who's in secret. There's a treasure and reward to be had 
and you'll find it on the map at the X. Where is the X on the map? In the room, with the door shut, with your father. That's where the treasure is. And he goes on to say this, and your father who sees rewards you. And then verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So do not heap up empty phrases. If your prayer looks more like a performance than a conversation, then Jesus is talking to you. <laughs> if you go in your room and shut the door and meet with your father, and it sounds like this. Holy Father, I beseech thee today. I don't know why you're singing in this prayer. And it turns into something other than conversation. It's performance. And he's calling that to question. Our prayer it's a personal father who really wants to talk to us. How many of you would walk up to your father and mother and go, Hello, father. I beseech thee today to help me with my mortgage payment. I don't know what it is, right? <laughs> you just wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. That's what he's saying. Go talk to your father. He, he knows what you need. Just talk to him. He's your father. And then he says this, do be intentional in what you say. This is what it looks like. Pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven. So realize God is indeed your Father. This is a word that none of the Jews would have loved Jesus saying. You don't call God Father. As a matter of fact, they didn't even write his name. You, you couldn't even spell it out. They were, they were so, he's so other, he's so other. And then Jesus walks on the scene and says, hey, when you pray, call him daddy. To which they went, what? <laughs> Head turn. He's your father. Pray then this way, our father in heaven, he's personal, but also realizing he is indeed hallowed. Pray this way, hallowed be your name. So I approach him as my dad. But I also recognize that he is holy and hallowed other. He is separate. He's distinct from all of us. He's, he is otherly. And because he's otherly, I bow before him like Isaiah did. In fear and trembling. But as a believer, I bow before him because I'm astonished that he loves me as a dad. We'll get to that in just a second. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray this way, your kingdom come. Realize real life is about the coming kingdom. How many of your prayer lives are marked by praying for and longing for the return of Christ? This is how he tells us to pray. Or how many of our prayer lives, if we're honest, look more like, a preference for him to wait in his coming so that we can get the degree, get the spouse, get the child, get the job, get the treasures, get the retirement, 
Jesus, I am praying for all of these things, which by implication means I really don't want you to come back. (laughs) What does that look like for us? This calls into question our, our, our prayer. And he goes on to say this, your kingdom come, your will be done. So when we pray, we pray realizing that life is all about the kingdom's agenda, not my agenda, but the kingdom agenda. I know a lot of my time when I pray and hit my knees or stand up or driving in the car, whatever it is, as soon as I pray, here's what my prayer looks like. Father, here's my will. Let it be done. Do you identify with that? And the Father says, no, no, no. Jesus says, no, that's not our prayer. Our prayer is, Father, what is your will and let it be done? That's the heart of a genuine prayer. And he goes on to say this, on earth it is the day, give us this day our daily bread. So realize that our wants can wait and our needs are something we can pray for now and should pray for now. Our daily bread. This draws into question the fact that as they're wandering through the wilderness, God is providing daily bread for them. That is what they needed. They couldn't cultivate it on their own because they were nomadic people. They needed God to provide bread. And he says, this is a heart of prayer. You have permission to ask for your needs. And be real careful that your needs don't switch into all of my earthly American wants. God, I need an iPhone 10. And no, you don't. <laughs> you don't even need an iPhone. <laughs> you don't even need a landline. You want it. He says, be careful about this. And then he goes on to this as we need to wrap it up. And forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors realize that forgiveness is available and it's also expected we pray praying because you have forgiven me i am now inoculated with the forgiveness genetic so because you've forgiven me i in return forgive help me lord to remember that i'm forgiven and forgive i know most of my prayers when it comes to forgiveness is more along the lines of retribution. Father, help me not kill this person, which sounds subtly and justifiably holy and is not, (laughs) right? Rather than, Father, as much as you've forgiven me, help me remember that and forgive greatly. Is this making sense? It's intensely personal. And then he goes on to say this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is how we should pray. So, realize spiritual warfare is available and is expected. Realize that that's something that's very, very real. How many times, let's do it this way. When is the last time you've prayed for spiritual warfare for the Father to protect your family from temptation? Or to cover you spiritually. When's the last time you've prayed that? When's the last time you've prayed that over your church? When's the last time you've even prayed that over your own life? 
Some people knock this out of the park, and then if we're honest, a lot of us struggle with this because we see spiritual warfare as something we can't see, so it must not be there. And it's so real and it's so there that Jesus added it into his own prayer. This is more real than the air you're breathing right now. You better pray about it. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the heart of Jesus' prayer. So, parting shots. How do we wrap this all? How can we tie this up in a neat little bow? Here's some parting shots I would say that we can take away from this passage. Number one is this. This is radically pointed and radically practical, if we're dead honest. I think we can see this. Wherever there is a premium on striving for holiness, there'll always be a temptation to settle for hypocrisy. Anytime we're pushed to pursue the Lord in prayer, or fasting, or whatever it is, we'll be tempted to settle for hypocrisy. Number two, I'd say this. According to Jesus' passage here, the secret of religion is religion in secret. Or this right here. Maybe the passage is teaching us that Christianity isn't about swaying man, but about seeking God. Or perhaps this, I think Jesus may be saying attempting to gain a spiritual reputation and attempting to gain the actual spirit of the living God are at odds with one another. And then finally, maybe a parting shot would be something like this. The irony of secret piety is that it's actually profoundly noticeable. That's the irony of the whole passage. Do all these things in secret so that you won't be seen by man. But how many of you guys could stand up and testify to a grandmother, grandfather, somebody in your life that has modeled secret pursuit of the Lord that you go, they have impacted me more than anybody else, and it is profoundly noticeable in their life. That's the irony of the whole passage. So again, it's radically pointed and practical. Jesus did, I, I, again, I'm just using the illustration, I forgot to cover it, but in the fasting, that's the exact same thing. He says, don't look gloomy and disfigure your appearance, and do clean yourself up. Don't do spiritual disciplines to be seen, but for the glory of God. Well, as the band comes back up, I pray that this passage has spoke to you in however the Spirit wants to speak to you. I know it spoke to me in many ways. But the last thing I would like to say is this. We are all hypocrites. But some of us are forgiven. And my prayer is that you are marked as the forgiven hypocrite. What I'm saying is this passage is for all of us. We all are hypocritical in nature, but the, the beauty of the church, true believers will stand up and go, I don't get it right. I'm telling you, true believers will take the mask off and go, you want to see the real me? Here it is. And I'm just trusting in Christ's righteousness to cover me. 
But then there are some in this room not willing to take your mask off. And you put it on. And you're the unbelieving hypocrite. And that's what he's calling into the question today. So unbelieving hypocrites in the room. Here's what I would say. Your present hope and joy, when the end is over, will just simply remain in the present. The Father will embrace no one who just performs spiritual disciplines for man's applause. That's the whole point. And so what do you do if you're the one in this room that the only reason you even act spiritual is so that your spouse won't leave you? Or so that the kid, your kids will be raised with some type of morals? Or whatever it is. If that's you, here's what you need to do. Admit you're wearing a mask. Take it off. <laughs> Jesus already knows you anyway. Come into the room with the other believers who have taken it off and said, here's my garbage. My only hope is in the finished work of Christ. Come to faith in Jesus, the only one who could ever preach this sermon with perfect integrity. Like nobody else can preach this sermon. You're like, Troy, didn't you preach a sermon? You're missing the point. That's not what I'm talking about. The real sermon, not me. Nobody else could preach the sermon he just preached with perfect integrity. Trust in him. And then believe that he alone and his substitutionary work is the good news. And then believing hypocrites in the room. Oh, baby. I love where this passage points us to. That Christ didn't play the hypocrite. And he didn't put on an act. But he really covers your hypocritical nature if you're believing in him. He did it. He did it. So believing hypocrite in the room, trust that what he did is sufficient. And then stop playing the role of hypocrite because he covers your hypocrisy. All right, that's a whole other sermon for another day. Let's kill the lights. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, it's probably fitting that we ask forgiveness for using your sermon illustration of the Lord's Prayer to rebuke hypocrisy in prayer for vain praying and then we turn around and use it as a vain prayer. God, forgive us for, forgive us for just tossing these words out at ballparks just so that we can act like our team is spiritual so that we can chant, go team. Forgive us for abusing this passage. Um, and so, Lord, as we come now to the communion table, I pray that believing hypocrites come to the table, which forces us to come face to face with the reality of our sin and also forces us to look in the beauty of your finished work. So God, today, as we take communion, 
may we come to terms with our great need and simultaneously rejoice that our great need has been met in Christ. And then, Father, for the unbelieving hypocrite in this room, and I'm sure in a room this size, there are some. Oh, God, that today would be the day of salvation where they would take off the mask and just quit playing the part of spirituality so that others will be happy with them. But God, today, they'll repent of their sin, come clean before you, and trust in your finished work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.